scriptures, uh, please turn with me this morning to Ruth chapter 2. That was some of the finest ephah carrying I've ever seen, by the way. Uh, While you're turning there, let me remind you of where we were last week. Uh, Naomi and her husband and her sons have gone to Moab, and they've gone to Moab to escape the famine that God has brought on the land of Israel. And while they're there, Naomi loses everything. She loses everything. Her husband dies, her sons die, and she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, decide, they, they hear that God has brought the end of the famine back to Judah, where they were from, and so they've decided to go back to Judah. When they get there, Naomi just sort of says offhand, I left here full, but I've returned empty. And when Ruth 1 ends, we see them back in Bethlehem, and they are uh, right at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's where Ruth 2 picks up. So this is Ruth 2, this is God's word for us, his people, this morning. It says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. 
When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, we thank you for this story that reveals to us your heart for the vulnerable, that reveals your heart for us. Lord, we pray that you would show us Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Have you ever watched a movie with somebody who's seen it before? And like you get to a part and they're like, hey, watch this. It's like, well, I'm staring at the, the rectangle in front of me. I'm watching. And they're like, no, 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 really, really watch. It's like, okay. That's basically where Ruth 2 opens for us. Ruth 2 starts by introducing us to a guy named Boaz who has not yet been a character in the story. And all it tells us about Boaz is that he is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. Ruth 2 is opening by saying, hey, really watch Boaz. Keep an eye on what this guy does. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to walk through this passage, we're going to kind of walk through the story and maybe pause here and there to uh, sort of explain some different sort of cultural things happening here. And then we're going to think about Boaz and what he does, and then we're going to think about how this teaches us about the gospel. So you start with this aside about Boaz, and then you get to verses 2 and 3, and you learn that Ruth is going out to glean. And as she goes out to glean, it says that she happens upon the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Uh, And in the Hebrew, it's actually kind of funnier than that because it says, by chance she chanced upon the field of Boaz. It's trying to make clear she doesn't know who Boaz is. Uh, She doesn't know that Boaz is a good guy. She's not going out intentionally trying to find Boaz's field. She's just going out to glean. She's going out to gather food, and she comes across the field of Boaz. Might be helpful before we get too much farther in to talk about what gleaning 
is. Uh, Gleaning was a practice in the Old Testament where God prescribed even the agricultural practices of his people. He said, a people who are shaped by my character, a people who are shaped by my heart, when they go to harvest their grain, they are supposed to leave portions of that grain for the poor and the widow and the sojourner. And not only that, you're not allowed to go over your field twice. So you get one pass at the harvest, and whatever you miss, whatever is left behind, is free for the taking of the poor and the widow and the sojourner. And you can read about gleaning in places like Leviticus 23, which in verse 22 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap right up to its edge, nor gather gleanings after the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. So God has commanded his people not to ruthlessly maximize production and profit of their agricultural existence. God built into the law, God built into his people's agricultural practices a way for the poor to provide themselves. People that didn't have land, people that couldn't produce food on their own, could come to the fields of others and gather what was left. This gives us some indication of Ruth and Naomi's position in society. They were reduced to the point that they had no way to buy food, no way to gather, no way to produce food on their own. They could only gather food based on this prescribed practice in the Old Testament. So Ruth, as the story opens, goes out to glean. She goes out to gather extra barley. Well, in verse 4, we finally meet Boaz. Boaz is, uh, the, the Bible tells us, a worthy man. We might say that Boaz is a righteous man. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when it describes someone as righteous, I think it's just important that we not read that and hear that Boaz is sinless. Um, That's not the point uh, of what righteousness or worthiness means. What it means is that Boaz loved God. And Boaz had a heart that was shaped by his love for God. And so Boaz sought to walk in and keep the commandments of God's law. And part of what that means is that when Boaz sinned, Boaz would go to the tabernacle and he would offer sacrifices for his sin. So Boaz is not sinless, but he loves God. He has a heart that is shaped by the love of God, and he is seeking to walk in faithfulness and obedience to the law. You get a sense of Boaz's uh, sort of righteousness even just in the way that he greets his workers, He walks into the field in verse 4 and he says uh, to the people who are working in the field, the Lord be with you. And you get this sense that they like Boaz because they respond back to him, right? Like the Lord bless you. There's this this camaraderie, this, this fellowship, this love, this communion that Boaz has with those who are working in his fields. He is a worthy man. Boaz comes to his field and he immediately, verse 5 tells us, notices Ruth. And he asks a question to those who are reaping. He says, whose is she? 
Now that question might grate a little bit on our modern sensibilities, but Boaz is not asking who does she belong to. What Boaz is asking is what family is she a part of? Uh, Who does she belong to? What, What group of people is her people? Uh, in verses 6 and 7, we see the, the foreman answer. He says, this is Ruth. Um, this is Ruth who has um, come back from Moab with Naomi. This is Naomi's daughter-in-law who has been kind and good to her. And verses 6 and 7 say uh, that she has been working hard all day. She started early in the morning. She took one short break, and she has kept working up till now. So in verses 8 and 9, Boaz calls Ruth over. And he says, Ruth, I want you to stay in my field. I want you to stay here because here in this field, you will be safe. You see, he protects Ruth. He doesn't just notice her. He protects her because Ruth was vulnerable. She was poor. She had no status in the community. She was a widow. She was a woman. And she was a foreigner. She had virtually no recourse if anything happened to her, but Boaz notices this and says, Ruth, stay here. Stay with the women from my own family who are gleaning and reaping in this field, and you will be safe. You will be protected. Uh, But Boaz uh, continues. Uh, I'm sorry, Ruth responds to Boaz and says, why are you being so kind to me? You can imagine, Ruth has been through a lot. Her husband has died, her father-in-law has died, her brother-in-law has died, uh, her other sister-in-law has stayed in Moab, and Ruth is a foreigner and a widow in a place she's never been before. Boaz might be the first person who has been kind to her. And so Boaz responds, I'll tell you why I'm being kind. He does this in verses 11 and 12. He says, I have heard of the kindness that you have showed to Naomi. May God bless you for it. These might be the first kind words Ruth has heard in Judah. And she acknowledges that. In verse 13, she says, You have comforted me. You have spoken kindly to me. Ruth has been through so, so much. But Boaz isn't done yet. Boaz has more to do. Verse 14 says lunchtime comes. So it's midday, it's hot. They've all been working in the fields for a long time. And what Boaz did is he brought food for his laborers, the people who were gathering his barley. He brought food for them. And he invited Ruth to come and eat the food that he was providing to his laborers. And he says, come sit down and he gives her bread and she dips the bread in the wine that he's brought for the laborers. And he gives her roasted grain to eat and it says she ate and then she was satisfied and then she had leftovers. Boaz says, take what's left, take the rest. She leaves with a to-go container from Boaz. She's got styrofoam containers full of bread and and wine and, and, and roasted grain. And then she goes back to glean some more. She's going to keep working in the field in the heat of the day. And in verses 15 and 16, Boaz grabs his foreman and he pulls him over to him and he goes, Hey, 
I want you to do a bad job harvesting. Do a bad job. I want you to walk by the really good stuff. Occasionally, I want you to like drop a bundle behind you of the really good stuff. I want Ruth to have a lot of grain. And you can imagine the foreman kind of shaking his head and saying like, whatever you say, boss. And so he starts doing a, a bad job so that Ruth will have more because Boaz is being generous with Ruth. Verse 17 tells us the day ends and Ruth beats out the barley, which is how you would separate the useful uh, grain from the plant matter. She beats out the barley and she has an ephah of barley, uh, which until 15 minutes ago, you might not have known how much barley that was. It is a comically large amount of barley for one day. It's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. It is a jumbo dog food size bag of barley. It's a lot of barley. And verses 18 and 19, she, she carries that barley home, which is no small feat, right? I mean, you saw that, that was a lot. That's heavy to carry in. I made Jack carry it so that I didn't get sweaty. I mean, it's a heavy feat. She didn't throw this in the back of a used Prius and drive home. She's walking home with a dog food bag, and then she's got the to-go containers under the other arm. She's walking. We don't know how far she walked, but probably at least a mile or two. That's a lot to carry. She's got a ton of stuff, and she gets home, and Naomi is like, where did you go? Like, where have you been? Did you go to Costco? Like, you got the big stuff. You got the five-gallon bucket of mayonnaise and the two-pack of baby grand pianos. Like, you've got so much food. She's got food for weeks on one day's worth of work. And Ruth answers, I met this great guy. His name was Boaz. Naomi responds in verse 20. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness does not forsake the living or the dead. Boaz is a redeemer. Now we'll talk next week about what it means to say that Boaz is a redeemer. That's a major theme in Ruth chapter 3. But for now, I'll just give you a slight spoiler alert. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Boaz is a redeemer. And Ruth continues. She says, he told me to come back throughout the harvest. And Naomi's like, yes, that's great. You'll be safe with him. And so Ruth gleans in Boaz's fields until the end of the barley harvest. And then it says, also through the end of the wheat harvest. And this was probably a period of about two and a half months. She spends all this time gleaning. And if she's walking home with an ephah of grain each day, and she does that for two and a half months, she has food for months and months and maybe even the whole year. Boaz is profoundly generous with Ruth. God has provided for Ruth and Naomi. I want to think for a few minutes about Boaz. Think about what he does in this passage. The first thing we see Boaz do as we meet him is Boaz notices Ruth. Boaz notices he comes to the field, he immediately notices a poor widow 
who's a foreigner, gleaning in his field. Ruth was entirely beneath his station. They were not peers in any meaningful sense. There was no need for him to give notice of this woman, but he immediately notices her. He notices this poor foreign widow gathering the scraps of what is left behind in his barley field. In doing this, Boaz gives us a picture of God's heart for the poor and the vulnerable. In fact, we could even say more broadly, the whole practice of gleaning gives us a picture of God's heart for the poor and the vulnerable. God makes provision for them. God notices the poor and the vulnerable. He sees them. He makes provision for them. He notices. Noticing can be an act of profound love and care for someone. Just noticing what's going on with them. I remember early on uh, in my time as a pastor, I was at a church that was going through a lot of really hard things. Uh, And um, there were multiple situations happening and and things were just really, really difficult. And an elder uh, called me up one evening, and I was an assistant pastor at this church. He, He called me up one evening and he said, hey, can I take you to breakfast tomorrow? I said, sure. So we went and got breakfast and he He said to me, we just sat down, he said, hey, you're not crazy. This is hard. It was a profound kindness to notice people who are suffering, to notice people who are vulnerable. And so a question I have for you this morning, are we people who notice? Are we people who see when those around us are hurting or grieving or suffering or in difficult places? To take it one step even further, do we notice the poor and the vulnerable? Do we notice those on the margins who wouldn't be uh, considered peers of ours, those who are on the edges of our society? Do we notice them? God does. Boaz does. God is teaching us in part here to do the same. Boaz notices the poor and the vulnerable. That leads us to the second thing about Boaz. I've got four of these, so that was number one. Second thing is power. Boaz uses his power and his influence and his strength on behalf of others. Do you notice that? Boaz takes what he has. He takes the fact that he is in a position of security and strength and he uses that position to bless those who have less. He uses his power for the sake of others. Boaz blesses Ruth and Naomi with what God has given. And I think that helps us understand even the nature of power in the world. The way that God created us to use power is God created us to use power and strength and influence on behalf of those who are poor and vulnerable, those who have less than we do. Power is given not for self, but for others. We see Boaz do that here. 
The third thing we see from Boaz is what we might call hospitality. Hospitality is one of those words that uh, I think has kind of gotten thrown into soft focus and sort of put in a Hallmark movie. Uh, We don't often think about biblically what hospitality is meant to be. We've kind of reduced it to, to hosting dinner parties. Uh, or, or to, to having people over to our homes. And hospitality certainly includes those things. But that's not actually really the heart of what hospitality is in the Bible. When you get to the New Testament, there's a Greek word that is used there that is translated as hospitality, and it is the Greek word philoxenia. Philoxenia. Uh, And it's a a combination of two Greek words. Philos means love, and xenia means stranger. Philoxenia is love for the stranger. Uh, Or, if you want to flip it around, it's xenophilia, love for those who are different. Love for those who are outside of our immediate circles. And it might be contrasted with what we could call xenophobia, fear of those who are different from us. Hospitality is meant to be extended to those who are different. My favorite definition of hospitality comes from a theologian named Christine Pohl, who wrote a whole beautiful book on hospitality called Making Room. And this is what she says. She says, when we offer hospitality to strangers, we welcome them into a place to which we are somehow connected a space that has meaning and value to us. This is often our home, but it includes our church, our community, our nation, and various other institutions. In hospitality, the stranger is welcomed into a safe and personal and comfortable place, a place of respect and acceptance and friendship. Even if only briefly that stranger is included in a life-giving and life-sustaining network of relations. Hospitality involves attentive listening and a mutual sharing of lives and life stories. It requires an openness of heart and a willingness to make one's life visible to others and a generosity of time and resources. Hospitality includes... uh, a stranger in a life-giving and life-sustaining network of relations. I think that's beautiful. Because what that tells us when we think about things like stewardship in our lives, stewardship is not just about our resources. We must consider everything that God has given us as a resource to be stewarded. And that includes our relationships. That means that welcoming people into our relationships is part of how God would have us steward those relationships. Welcoming strangers to be part of the groups that we are a part of is fundamental to the heart of the gospel. We see Boaz do that here as he welcomes a foreign widow to be a part of this community that is working in his fields and to whom he is generous. Boaz is hospitable. The fourth thing we see is related to that, uh, but just to highlight it a little deeper, Boaz shows profound generosity to Ruth and Naomi. 
profound generosity. Generosity is simply blessing others with what God has given you. It is a beautiful thing, and again, part of the heart of the gospel. Have you ever experienced just profound generosity? Uh, I remember early on uh, in, uh, when Jen and I were in seminary, Jen, uh, two weeks after she had given birth to Jack, uh, she woke up in the middle of the night with severe abdominal pain. And so I needed to take her to the hospital, and we lived kind of far away from everybody we really knew. Uh, so we lived uh, far away from family and like pe- the kind of people you normally call in the middle of the night. So we called uh, the wife of one of our other seminary students. And I said, hey, I've got to take Jen to the hospital. Um, can you come watch our newborn? It's 3 a.m. She's like, I'll be there in five minutes. She ran across the parking lot uh, and took care of our newborn. It turned out that Jen had appendicitis and had to have her appendix removed. So she not only got up in the middle of the night to take care of our newborn, she had a two-year-old at home as well. So she was busy, we'll say. She had other things going on. She stayed at our house the entire day. She cleaned our house from top to bottom. She did our laundry. She cooked us a meal that was in the fridge. And when we got home from the hospital the next day, our lives were basically completely different uh, than they were when we went. It was a profound kindness. It was a profound generosity. That's what we see here in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth goes to the fields with nothing and she leaves with food for weeks. Boaz is profoundly generous with what God has given him. He's not ruthlessly trying to maximize his profit and his yield on this field. He realizes what he has is from God and he shares it with those who are in need. And so the question we have to ask this morning, and this is the question we're going to end with, is simply this. Where does a posture like that come from? How does Boaz get to be Boaz? How do we become people who notice, who use power to help others, who become hospitable and generous? How did Boaz become this? One commentator said this. He said, Boaz's heart had been touched by God's covenant faithfulness. And this overflowed in covenant faithfulness to those around him. The Bible in Hebrew has a word for God's covenant faithfulness. And that word is hesed. Hesed means God's steadfast love. It means his faithfulness. It means his abounding generosity to those who are in need. And in fact, Naomi uses that word in verse 20. Naomi uses that word when she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaked the living or the dead. His hesed has not forsaken the living or the dead. Sinclair Ferguson uh, describes uh, hesed as this. He says, It is God's deep goodness expressed in his covenant commitment, his absolute loyalty, and his obligating of himself to bring to fruition blessings he has promised, whatever it may cost him personally to do that. Friends, as we read Ruth 2, The point here is not to be like Boaz. 
The point is to recognize that Boaz is pointing us to a greater Redeemer still to come. Boaz is pointing us to Jesus. Ruth 2 is about the gospel. Because nowhere do we see God's hesed more clearly than in Jesus. Jesus notices us when we are floundering in a mess of our own making. Jesus uses the power of both his humanity and his divinity to come and redeem us from sin and from death. Jesus welcomes sinners like you and me into fellowship and communion with him. And he gives not only his resources, but his very self. Paul reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, that is the heart of the gospel. In Christ, we, like Ruth, go out empty and return full. We bring nothing and we leave with leftovers. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we thank you for your steadfast love and your loving kindness and your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your abounding generosity to us in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for this story of Ruth and Boaz. We thank you that as we read it, we are reminded again and again of what Christ has done for us. Lord, even now as we come to your table, I pray, Lord, that you would be at work here in these elements, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose to shape us more and more into those who notice, into those who use our power for the sake of others, into those who are hospitable, and into those who are generous. Lord, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.